You are now tuned in to the Sermon Topical Message Series. Special message. A visit with a man Paul used to know. Tune in now for the sermon series, A Visit with a Man Paul Used to Know. During this message, Chris Brown will be teaching about Apostle Paul and the transformation of his life from a warrior story to an even broader warrior story. Get ready, get excited. You're now tuned in. Stone him to death. 
This message is so powerful, so convicting, that they literally all just quickly grab stones and they crush Stephen and they start to stone him to death. And in Acts 7, as they're stoning him, Right now, that you might be going through. I don't know. 
I'm not here to judge. I don't. Hey, my spot. I have no gavel, and I do not look good in black robes. And a lot of black robes has me gaveled me up and sent me away. So I don't really do the whole judge thing. But what I'm saying to you is those trials and tribulations that you're going through right now, God is strengthening you through them. God has gifted you and blessed you to be strong enough to endure them. And he says in Corinthians 10, 13, I will never give you more than what you can bear below. Always provide an escape. If he takes you to it, best believe dad will take you through it. So the more trials you go through, the more tribulations you go through, the more stronger your faith becomes. And at the end of it all, when we finally get to stand before our creator, because look around, we exist. And if he can create this, like, yeah, we exist. The ocean's roar, the human body, the anatomy, the complexity of everything going on. God is insane.
Because with Jesus, everything is where it needs to be. Jesus plus everything equals nothing. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I suck that math. I suck that math so bad I can't even multiply. I, I have to ask the register and the clerk how much change I need back on a $20 purchase. But I do know the formula. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus everything comes from having Jesus plus nothing. all the way 
way to eternity future, nothing you say or do will change my love for you. Nothing anyone does will change my love for them. And I love you all equally as a father. He said we are blessed as children of God. That is the greatest honor. That is the greatest proclamation as humans that we can be like, man, I'm God's child. I'm, I'm one of his. I'm one of God's children. And he says, man, there's no partiality with God. He loves every single one of us the exact same. He can't love you no more. He can't love you no less. And he will always pursue you, always lavish his love on you. And his promises will never come back void. But he's like, man, I need to show you these sufferings. Man, you can count those as joy. Peter, he goes as far to say in the first book, uh, uh, first Peter, he says, consider it an opportunity. He says, consider it an opportunity when you face various trials. Wait, hold on. Did, did I read that wrong? Did he just say, consider this trial uh, an opportunity? What do you mean an opportunity? I, I just lost my job. My, my, my dad just died. And my, my, my wife just left. My kids just ran. And you want me to consider this a moment, an opportunity for joy? And Peter goes, yeah. Consider it joy. Because like I said, he takes he takes us to these situations in life. And like he told Ananias when he gave that vision to Paul, he says, man, Paul is going to know what it's like to suffer for my namesake. So when we meet Paul all the way to the very last account of our our last uh, view of Paul and the last words we're going to hear from Paul, we're going to see how Paul, from start all the way to finish, endures the most insane hardships, the most insane trials, the most insane situations. And when I was mentioning he wrote these books to these churches, he planted these churches, and, he, and he's writing these letters. Okay, now most of these letters, majority of these letters, are from when he is in prison. And God, he takes what culture would look at as, you know, someone who was cursed of God because of their situation or circumstance in regards to who they are socioeconomically or where they stand politically or what they possess or how much money they have or what family uh, reverence they withhold and standing they have in the church. It's all external things, so they thought if you were homeless, if you were sick, if you were going through afflictions, you're going through pains and sufferings, that you were cursed of God. But it was all a lie. Um, and if you had wealth, if you had prestige, if you had money, if you were sitting in high-ranking positions in the church, then you were blessed of God. But it was an erroneous belief. See, this man had this belief in God as a healthy, wealthy, prominent man, like the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, same situation. 
poor man positions himself outside of a rich man's gate. Rich man, believer in God. Poor man, believer in God. Um, he positions himself outside of this rich man's gate. And every day, this rich man walks past this poor man. And he, he feasted scrumptiously every day. He, he, he ate uh, very nice meals. And the dream, the hope, the passion, the, the, the yearning of the poor man Lazarus was that those crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, the same crumbs that he fed to his dogs, rather than giving those crumbs to his dogs, if he would just, if he would just give those crumbs to the servant to bring out to Lazarus, because to Lazarus, those same crumbs food from the floor for him would have been a feast. And the poor man dies. And it says in the Bible that he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. Now he's in a place of blessing. He no longer is hungry. He no longer is sick. He is no longer is crippled. He's blessed. And then it says in the next verse that the rich man also died. And in Hades being in torment. Jesus gives the illustration in a parable. Hey, you want to know about heaven and hell? And this is coming from the most kind, loving servant who has ever lived in the history of the world. There is no one apart from Jesus who has served and loved. There is no one apart from Jesus who has sacrificed most. There is no one aside from Jesus who has shown the most humility. There is no one but Jesus. So Jesus tells us in four verses... Two destinies of two men, both believers in God, one presumably uh, assumed upon his daily routine, he was relying on the grace of God, not ever realizing that he was far from God. And he walks past this poor man. This poor man, also a believer in God, dies from hunger. And the rich man, he's peering through what the Bible calls a chasm, and he sees someone who he used to know here on this earth, the poor man. And he peers through this chasm, and then Lazarus is looking at this rich man, and it's this eternal separation, this chasm. No one from heaven can go to hell. No one from hell can go visit anyone in heaven. This earth and this life is the only chance we have. Your destiny is sealed upon your death. We have a decision to make. So he peers at this poor man and it says in the Bible that he's begging the poor man, Lazarus, please, I'm begging for relief. I'm longing for relief. Please dip your finger in water and cool my tongue for I am down here in anguish in this I'm begging you, please, for I have five brothers. Will you warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment? But Jesus peers back and he says, Your brothers had Moses and the prophets. If they weren't convinced from what they said, neither will they be convinced that anyone should rise from the dead. So, these men both believed in God. Okay, now this guy Paul believed in God as a rich man, presumably assuming every day in his routine, killing these Christians, that this is what God wanted him to do. So when God saves him and restores him, he begins to get persecuted. He begins to get rejected. He begins to get, he begins to go through the very same torment and 
suffering that he put all those believers in Jesus through. And he goes through the very same hell, but he gets to witness it and experience it from the other side. So in 2 Timothy 4.16 in closing... Actually, I want to read 1 Corinthians really quickly. Paul, he's going to mention these hardships. So whatever you're going through in life right now, wherever you're at, whoever you are, no matter what background you come from, no matter where you stand politically, no matter what you believe, no matter where you stand, no matter what your ideology, philosophy, speculation, interpretation, all of that is amazing and beautiful, and I'm thankful for it. And we all are the same. And he says, look, all love, no judgment. He says, look, check this out. First Corinthians, Paul goes, man, this is beautiful. He goes, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Verse 10, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. He goes, yeah, we're going through pain and we're going through suffering around that verge of death, but we're going to go through with this, we're going to go through this with joy because it's eternal life that you get to have. This is something that you get to have. We're filled with all this joy because, man, you get to experience God and, and you get to experience the Creator. There's nothing like it. And he goes on and he says, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had said when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present himself to us and gather with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles right now are small and they won't last. This world is passing away. He says they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we focus our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And he gives a detailed account verbatim. He says this, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Verse 5. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity and our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us. And by our sincere love, we faithfully preach the truth 
God's power is working in us, and we use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. Oh! We own nothing, but yet we have everything. We have lost everything. God, take away everything. Man, put me through whatever. You can have it all. I'm not tripping and I'm filled with the most joy ever. Why? Because I have Jesus. And Jesus is all that I need. And when I just have Jesus and nothing else, man, that is when I am complete. With Jesus, I am complete. I don't need anything else but you, Jesus. You alone, Jesus, are my foundation in love. He went through a lot. He had to endure much. And he alone suffered. A brutal death. They, they, they took nails and they ripped the flesh from the side of his body. They murdered Jesus because Jesus wasn't like that. God, God came down and we killed him. I killed him. They actually released a murderer. Released a murderer to him instead of Jesus. Jesus had no wrongdoing. Jesus laughed at mocked. All he was doing was loving on people, serving people, caring for people. And it was cool because uh, Jesus, he um, he would violate every cultural taboo and religious law to go and love on somebody. And it would trip up the religious people. Like, they would stunt on Jesus every day. Like, every day, they would pop up like, um, Jesus, uh, doesn't it say in the law that on this day you're not supposed to uh, heal people? Wait, hold on. Ain't this your mom? Like, I'm healing your mom right now, uh, Nicodemus. But he like, uh, well, yeah, I know that's my mom, but uh, it's the Sabbath. And you're, yeah, you look at what you're doing. And it's always about what you're doing. That's how you can spot a religious person. They're always worried about what somebody else is doing. Oh, look at this person. Look at how they're believing. Look at what they're saying. Look at what they're doing. And we just always focused on everybody else when all we need to do is just focus on Jesus. And what he's doing in us. And 
focus on Jesus that is loving us through that person and using us to love that person. And we take our eyes off of Jesus to focus on how other people view Jesus, how other people are living for Jesus, how other people are living life. And man, stop focusing on everyone else. Focus on Jesus. And trust me, I be focusing on everybody else all the time, so I get it. You know, I ain't exempt from any of this. I'm right there with y'all. You know what I mean? Um, so, he's like, look, take your eyes off of everybody else. Focus on Jesus. Put your eyes on the one who wants to show you the beauty inside your own very life. And it's difficult. It's a challenge. But Paul, he knows what it's like to go through those challenges. And Jesus suffered. And Paul suffered. After Jesus, okay, Jesus, number one, has endured the most suffering. Number two, that's easily Paul for sure. That, that Paul gets that. Like, that, that, that goes to him for sure. And it's crazy because I love what he said. He's like, it's not about works as any man should boast. There's nothing I can tell you. There's nothing I can say to help you or to bring you closer to God. Like, that's insanity. That's just nuts. Like, do, honestly, do I really think that I could come out here and my words can get you to surrender your whole entire life to God? That makes no sense at all. Like, it just doesn't. It makes no sense. That somehow I'm going to get you to surrender your life to God? No, but God's Spirit is the one who convicts and loves. He says, by His Spirit alone, may someone glorify Jesus. So we are vessels, and we're used by Him to, to speak the words that He chooses to put in the hearts of the very people who are receiving them. So it's not me doing anything. It's all God if he's doing something in your heart and in your life through me. He uses us. He uses his word. He uses everything. God is such a gracious father. So Paul has that award secondary for suffering. And in 2 Timothy 4.16, we're going to close with Paul's last words. Before he himself is going to be executed, martyred for his faith in Jesus. And he's about to be murdered by the very same people that he himself used to be. He's going to die by the hands of the very hands that he used to have on his body as Saul. When we first meet Saul, remember when they dragged Stephen's body to his feet and he approved of the kill? Now as we see Paul depart, Paul is now Saul. Paul Stephen and Paul is going to be dragged to his feet when he was Saul and he gets to look up at who he used to be but no longer is and he gets to die with that joy on his face seeing that he no longer 
is that person no more, and that he's on the other end of the spectrum on the right side, and he dies with this joy of knowing that he no longer is that person, and he, he's killed by the religious leaders, by the religious church, by the religious people, people like me, people like you, people like us, I, I killed Jesus, I dragged him to the cross over and over again, every time I run away from him, I'm, I'm picking up a stone and I'm throwing it at Stephen. That guilt, that shame, that, that bitterness in my heart, that's, that's, that's something me and God are working out. See, God, God works on our hearts. We, we all go and do something. So Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.16, he's writing his spiritual son. And he's like, man, everyone has abandoned me. He says, he says in detailed account, he goes, at, the, at my last defense, nobody stood by me. But everybody has abandoned me. May it not be charged against them. He like, look, at my last defense, when I had to appear before the judge, when I was in shackles, when I was in gaffles, when they was dragging me to prison, ain't nobody was with me. They all took off. When we was out there being persecuted and the cops showed up, all my friends, all my people who were supposed to be, they boom, they gone. I'm, I'm all alone. He says, at my last defense, nobody stood with me. Everybody has abandoned me. He's like, you my whole life. Everyone has let me down. Everyone has abandoned me. But he goes, hey, hey, I'm not tripping. I'm not tripping at all. He says, the next verse may not be charged against them. I ain't even tripping. And you want to know why? Because of the next verse where he says, but the Lord, see, the Lord, he stood by me through the whole thing. And he strengthened me through the whole thing. And God never ever left my side one time. He said the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the gospel might be fully preached to the Gentiles. And he says and I was saved from certain death and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So he goes, man, despite everything, despite all of it, I got to go and be used by God to preach the good news. And in 1 Timothy 4, he says, in season and out of season, he goes, man, I charge you in the presence of God who will judge the living and the dead, go and preach the good news. So there's no more joy and excitement than being used by God to deliver this news. Man, when Peter and John, when they were getting released from jail, Remember that whole story in Acts 4? Literally, they gaffle him up, they throw him in prison, and they say, hey, look, check this out. You can't be talking about that Jesus no more. No more talking about Jesus. Um, and it's crazy, because uh, the first question they ask him, by what power are you doing these things? They're first, they're worried about power. And he says, it's all about the name of Jesus. The same Jesus whom you crucified and killed. That infuriated them. So they get arrested, they're sent to jail. 
lives are threatened, but ultimately they're released. They say, don't go share Jesus no more, otherwise you literally are going to die. And you'll be back in Catholic school, but you'll be back in chains. And literally, as they leave the jail doors, they get flogged and beaten. As soon as they hit that corner, they immediately go and they start preaching about the name of Jesus. And he's like, hey, look, check this out. In Acts 4.20, he goes, look, it's not that we can't stop talking about Jesus. We literally cannot stop talking about Jesus. Because I'm telling you right now, man, people didn't think we're nuts. They thought Noah was crazy. Man, for 120 years, they walked past Noah. Noah, where's your gun at? Where's the flood? Voice is heard 
And this voice says, come up here and see what must take place after this. So I'm standing there. I'm at the gates. I see this massive door. And I'm hearing this trumpet blast. And then I hear this voice. And for me, I just, I, I look through the door and I, and I see Jesus standing in the middle of the door. And that voice is his. And he's looking at me like, Chris, what are you doing still standing out here? What, what are you doing still standing out here? Come in, come in. What are you waiting for? What are you doing still standing out here? Come in. Man, I want to give you all these blessings. I want to show you so much light. Will you come through the door? Will you just come in? Why are you still standing there? And in that next verse, he takes a step. And instantly, he is in the presence of God. Immediately, he's with the Creator. And that's all that matters. Will you take a step like John? into a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, God, for this message, Lord. I thank you so much for the podcast, God. I thank you for the recording uh, devices we get on the Android to upload and live stream, Father. God, I thank, I'm thanking you right now for people, Lord. And man, being in San Francisco is just awesome and amazing to see how many people are just so graced by you, God. And um, would you please show us how powerful you are, Lord, in this next few years, God? Lord Jesus, we will never back down from you, God. We love you. We thank you. We give you all honor and glory and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. So look, I pause that. For my old podcast on Anchor's a new one. Thank you for tuning in. Then boom.